it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Preadventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. For a few moments, I want to talk about the real purpose of prayer. I'm sure you'll recall that we've been doing some study on Moses the last few weeks, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. hope you've got something out of it in the process. But talking about Moses, you know that Moses and the children of Israel had gone through a lot of stuff together, if you will. Moses was born as a Jew, uh, but he was brought up uh, as an Egyptian. I learned all the Egyptian ways because I believe God was going to use him later on to deliver the nation of Israel from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt itself. But we know that uh, Moses, uh, as I said, was raised uh, in, as an Egyptian. Uh, the Bible lets me know that uh, he was able to see uh, the slavery and, and, and all the hurt and the pain uh, that his kinmen, the Jews, had to go through under the heavy hand of Pharaoh himself. And yet there came a time that God sent him to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And from that time on, Moses and the nation of Israel, uh, they were able to go through a lot of things together. Uh, they were there when the nine plagues were outpoured upon uh, the Egyptians as a direct judgment against all the gods that Egypt serviced, served within that hour. Then we also know that they were all together as well, Moses and the nation of Israel, when the tenth plague came down upon uh, the Egyptians, the firstborn male of every house died that had not been uh, the blood applied uh, to the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And yet we also know that they experienced God leading them across the Red Sea as Moses obeyed and stretched forth the rod. The Red Sea parted. The Israelites went across on dry ground. And as a result, the same water killed all of the Egyptian army, including Pharaoh, that was in hot pursuit against them. Uh, in the wilderness, they were able to get water out of the rock at least two times. They were able to be fed manna from on high. And they also were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Moses and the nation of Israel, they experienced all this together. They had seen the provision of God. They would experienced the miracles of God. They experienced the blessings, the mercy, and the grace of God time and time and time again. But now it came to the place where Moses got to see the glory of God. You see, it's not just enough for Moses to see God working. Moses wanted to know the God that was doing the work. And too many times in life, we settle for the miracles. We settle for the supernatural. We settle for the goosebumps and all that's fine and dandy. But brothers and sisters, we need to know the God who's manifesting his power in our lives in this last day. We do not need to settle just to know the work of the Lord. We have an invitation to know the Lord who does the work. And that's where Moses was at within his life. He wanted to see the glory of God. I remind you that we cannot see uh, the glory of God as did Moses did, but we can see the glory of God in a different way. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, I pray it will whet your appetite and my appetite as well to draw each and every one of us closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe that before we get into that, there's a question I think we need to answer. It's a question I have asked myself, and maybe it's a question that 
that you have asked yourself that needs an answer to this morning, and that's this. Uh, why should we bother to pray if everything is already in God's hands? You ever felt that way? Have you ever asked that question? Why do I need to pray anyway if everything is already in the hands of the Almighty God? Uh, God can choose to bless our friends without, our, without us asking him to do so. A God can save, a God can heal, a God can deliver Tampa, Lakeland, or Orlando from oppression of the devil. A God can promote, God can offer guidance, a God can supply the needs of missionaries. God can do what he wants to, even if we do not ask him to do so at all. Brothers and sisters, it would be foolish to think that God is somehow bound by our faithless intercession. If we're not careful, uh, we could get the idea and tempted to stop praying and just let God do whatever he wants to on earth uh, the same way that he does it uh, there in heaven. Then why are we to pray? Why are we supposed to pray? I believe that prayer is a stepping stone uh, that leads us to a higher objective uh, within our life. If we come to God in prayer and we pray to God uh, and we bring to God our need, we soon realize that we need God more than we need an answer to the prayer that we're bringing to God. Are you with me? I learn in my life, I have many needs. I take my needs to God. But after a while, I realize I need God more than I need the answer to the prayer that I'm bringing uh, before the Almighty God himself. Prayer pushes me and prayer pushes you and prayer pushes us into deeper intimacy uh, with the Almighty God. And the more we pray, the closer we get to God. I think that's one of the reasons that we have trials and we have tests and we have things happening in our life uh, because it causes us to want to be drawn closer and closer to God. We bring him our victories. We bring him our temptation. We bring him our defeat. We bring him our problem. We bring him everything that's over our head because frankly, we've got nowhere else to go. And every time we come to him, I find a friend that will sit closer than a brother. I find an almighty God whose ear is bowed down in the direction of my prayer. And even though my prayer may not have been answered right then and there, I've gotten closer to him. I know more about his heart. I know more about his will. I know more about his mind. I know more about him. And I believe that's what prayer is designed to. So rather than just having my prayer answered, I get to know the God more intimately that answers those prayers in my heart and my life. So thank God we have so many needs because he knows we are a desperate people that relies upon him. I shared this years ago, it comes to mind. But I remember when Abraham Lincoln was campaigning years and years ago. I don't know if it's for the Senate or whether it's for presidency, but he was walking through the fields. And he came up on an old farmer uh, with a bag of bones uh, for a mule. And that old mule couldn't hardly plow, uh, pull the plow. It was a bag of bones. And there's a big old horse flop on the ear of that old mule. And Abraham took that big hat off and got ready to slap that old ear of that mule. And the old farmer said, no, 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 don't do that. And he said, why? He said, Mr. Lincoln, if it wasn't for that horse fly, that, that, that mule never would move. And sometimes God allows those horse flies in our life. Not that we swat and get rid of them, but it causes us to press on in and persevere more in the prayers that we are to pray. George McDonald, uh, who was a, a greatly influenced C.S. Lewis, and he said, and I quote, what if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great and endless need of himself? Hunger may drive a runaway child home, but he needs the mother more than he needs the dinner. Communion with God is one need of the soul beyond all other needs. Prayer is the beginning of that communion, end of quote.
This explains why that we need to pray about our daily affairs, need to pray about our, our vocation, our family, our responsibilities, our health itself. That's why sometimes we don't get the respect from people that we think we deserve. Life is hard, but the more we lean on God, the more we press into God, the more we'll understand a little bit more about the life that God has given unto us. Friend, we can even live with an unanswered prayer as long as we know our soul is satisfied with the knowledge that we know God. It's not enough to have a knowledge about him and that's important, but I want a knowledge of him that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering as said the Apostle Paul itself. God always leads us beyond our initial request and I thank God for that. He brings us to a place our soul is satisfied. There's a larger picture here. The goal is always that we might be drawn closer and closer and closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we recall that Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai. When Moses went to the top, he was told about the idolatry that was being committed in the valley below. How that must have blown his mind. How quickly we forget. God destroyed all of the gods of Egypt with the ten plagues that was poured upon them weeks and weeks prior to that. And now the nation of Israel forgot about it and they're getting ready to go back into the same type of idolatry that God already judged the nation of Egypt over. The people had made a golden calf and they were worshiping. Notice this. They threw everything in and Aaron comes out and said, I just threw all the gold in and it came out of calf. Poof. So we started to worship. You think so? They had to mold that and make that. They knew what they were doing. And more times than not, we know what we're doing when we don't give God allegiance. We know adultery comes in our life and God hates all sin, but idolatry ticks him off more ways than one as far as I'm concerned as I read the word of God. Moses was a Paul. Moses had... <clears throat> had seen God at close range. Moses saw the beauty of God and he saw the wholeness of God and he knew that idolatry was the ultimate rebellion and he also knew it was an inexcusable insult to the almighty God. Now, God gave Moses a test. Get this. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make thee a great nation. A man, Moses, who had struggled with his own anger from time to time, was now given a proposition from God, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to get rid of all these Jewish people, and I'm going to make you and your wife the head of this nation, and now you're going to lead the nation. To Moses, he did not like that idea. Moses didn't like that idea whatsoever. His anger was tempered with mercy. And more importantly, Moses was more concerned about the reputation of God. He was more concerned about the character of God than he was concerned about his own place in history. Did you get that? He's concerned about God's character. Through his prayer, we're introduced to three levels of praying. Three levels, and I hope that we see these three levels, and I hope that we will do the same thing that Moses did. We'll progress from one level to another level to that third level within our life. First of all, the prayer of pardon. That's the first thing he prayed. He began by asking God that he might forgive the sin of the nation of Israel. He, he said, God, he, he appealed to God's reputation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thou wrath wax hot against the people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. What Moses was saying, God, what would the Egyptians think if you killed your people 
because of your anger. He was more concerned about God's reputation among heathen nations than he was about his own future history of what he would come down for. The pagans of the day uh, would misread God's actions. They would mock God and they would conclude, you, you say you're a big God, but you can't control your own people. You can't direct your own people. You can't handle your own people this hour. The reputation of God would be tarnished. So Moses wanted the nation to be impressed with God rather than belittle him, belittle his intention, and belittle his power and his authority. So Malachi asked God, God, turn away from your anger and your mercy. Do not destroy your people. Brothers and sisters, that way of thinking is still alive today. The impression that many people get about God depends on the way you and I are representing God in this world. The greatest Bible that sinners will read is not wrapped up in this letter. The greatest Bible the sinner will read is wrapped up in your shoe leather and mine. And the way we walk daily, we're telling about the goodness of God or the bad part of God. We're either being talking about a faithful God or an unfaithful God, a God that's holy or a God that's unholy, a God that's full of grace or a God that's full of anger, a God that's full of mercy or a God that's full of wrath. The way we live our lives every day is advertising this God that we serve. And to the world, are we saying this God is trustworthy? Are we saying to the world, this, world, this God can be believed in? Or are by our actions, are we leading people the other way? Brother, we may live our lives in such a way that will not drive people away from God, but we live our lives in a way that will draw people to him every day of our life. Remember what God told to David? David sinned, he says, you've caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Can you imagine that? The, the man after God's own heart, he committed adultery and he committed murder. And yet God said, because of what you did, you've caused my enemies to blaspheme. And the enemies were thinking, if a man for God's heart can get away with murder, if a man for God's own heart can, can do this thing about the, the adultery, what's going to happen to the rest of us? One thing about David, he knew how to repent. One of the great things about David, he kept building altars and building altars and building altars. You know why? Because it's a place where he met with his God. And even though David had a, a, a reputation at times of sinning some horrible sins, not just the sins of the flesh, but also sins of the spirit, when he numbered the children of Israel when he was supposed to, that was pride. But what made David great after a man after God's heart? He knew how to repent. Amen. And Moses uh, was jealous for the way God would be perceived by the surrounding nations. God, uh, Moses said, God, please don't kill your people uh, because I, I don't want your reputation tarnished. I don't want your character uh, to be in question, God. They didn't want the, many of the people didn't want to believe that Israel was God's chosen people to begin with. If Israel was now destroyed, the pagan would say, your God's untrustworthy. Your God is not a powerful God. Your God is not even worth following. What nation would want to adopt a God whose people have been wiped off the face of the earth? What nation would want to worship a God uh, who, who destructed a nation and had his own, his own integrity uh, in question? If God did not keep his covenant, these people called his own, what would we do to the people that betrayed him? Moses was basically saying, God, don't blot out these people's names. Now get this. The next day, Moses continued to pray the same prayer. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from the book which thou hast written. If God is not willing to forgive their sin, Moses said, I'm ready to give up my life, God, on their behalf. He was going to be a sin offering for the nation of Israel. 
The people of Israel did not have a clue the price that Moses had paid for them, and they don't have a clue the price he was willing to pay for them now. God, just take my life and let these people go free. These people, God answered the prayer of Moses. You get it? God answered Moses' prayer. However, some of the rebels were put to death, as we saw in the scripture, but the nation was still intact. And with their sins forgiven, they could resume on now to the promised land, and God was with them. Prayer for forgiveness represents the first step that we offer to God in our walk with him. But here is the problem. Too many times as Christians, that's all we do. We confess our sin to God. We ask him to forgive us. And then we continue to live a life of simply walking for God, getting forgiveness. Walk with God, sinning, getting forgiveness. We never quite enter into everything God has for us. We don't get very far beyond confession of our sin and walking the tightrope between sin and salvation. But I'll tell you, God talked brought the nation of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, away from Pharaoh, which represents the devil. He brought them out in order to take them in to the fullness. And too many Christians are in-betweeners. We have been brought out of sin and under Satan's stronghold, but we've not quite come into the fullness of everything that God Almighty has for us. He brought us out that he might take us in. And church, I think that's the message. Don't stop with a prayer, God, forgive me my sin. And many times that's all we do. We know we've sinned. Our conscience has been seared. Uh, we feel guilty. God forgive us. He forgives us now. That's all we've done. But he wants to take you the second step, and that's this. Prayer for the presence of God. We must pray for the presence of God. God offered forgiveness to the people, but then God told Moses, they would know, God said, I'll no longer accompany you into the promised land. Can you get that? Moses, I'll forgive the people. I, I, I don't blot your name out. I'll forgive them. But... The caveat is, I am no longer going to lead you in the promised land. I'm going to send an angel, and that angel will go before you to fight all the enemies in Cana itself. He said, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Prezerite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and all the termites included. God would be with them. In a sense, he's with everywhere all the time. But he said, I will not be with you as that cloud by day, and I will not be with you as that fire by night. One of the things that set the nation of Israel apart from the other nations was the presence of God. Was the presence of God. And one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions of the world is the presence of God. Muslim, Islam is growing leaps and bounds and they worship a dead God. Christianity's dying and we worship a living God. In theory, but do we in reality? I'm here to tell you, we need the presence of God in our life more than we need answer to our prayer. We need the presence of God in our life more than anything else in all the world. And what happens is we've learned to do church through our education, through our experience, uh, through our history, and what other mimic what others are doing. Friend, we need the presence of God behind the pulpit. We need the presence of God in the musician. We need the presence of God in the Sunday school class. We need the presence of God sitting in the pew. We need the presence of God with anything and everything that we do because it's the presence of God that goes before us that'll make a way where there is no way and will do what others cannot do for us. <clears throat> but we've learned to get along without the presence of God. So when God said, my presence is not going to go before you, that was a major disappointment to Moses. Moses wasn't happy. He wanted that cloud of glory to come back. So he prayed, now therefore I pray you, if I found grace in your sight, show me now the way that I may know you that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is thy people. Moses appealed 
to a strong desire to know God personally and to go God intimately. With the cloud of his presence, he can make it into the promised land. But with the cloud of his presence, he can also enjoy the fellowship in the journey. You ever seen people say, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven? Look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. I'm here to tell you, we need the presence of God in our life to where we can enjoy the journey. Where we can enjoy the presence of God. If I know God is with me, if I know the presence of God is greater as he that's in me than he is in the world, I don't care what need is going to come my way. My God is between me and that problem. Brothers and sisters, if medical insurance keeps going up, we're going to have to get back to believing divine healing. If food prices get going up in our, we're going to, have to believe that God can still give manna from heaven. Amen. I don't believe that, preacher. You believe what you want to. I'm going to tell you, in the presence of God, there's the fullness of joy. All of my need will be met by the presence of God in my life. I need the holy Shekinah of an almighty God that'll lead, that'll guide, that'll defeat every enemy that comes my way. I'm tired of showing a world, a dead religion, when we serve our living God who's overcome death and hell and the grave and ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. We serve our living God, and if he's not who he said he was, he's the biggest liar in all the world. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who lives forever and ever and ever. Let the enemy be defeated. I got more than an angel. I've got the almighty, resurrected son of the living God who goes before me. Worship him. Serve him in the beauty of holiness. Once again, he answered a prayer. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. He wasn't talking about rest on the Sabbath or rest on the Sabbath or, or resting in the promised land. As you go on the journey, when there's enemies around you, when you got squabbling people behind you, when you got murmuring people you're trying to pastor, I'm gonna give you rest, son. Ha, <laughs> you don't know what that's like. I'm gonna give you rest. You got that right. Rest, rest. Moses answered and he said, if your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have favor in sight and I, your people, is not this you're going with us? So what we, I, your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. Because of Moses' prayer, the cloud of his presence returned. Moses insisted, I will not go a step further without your presence. If God is going to send his glory, Moses was not going to go on. If God did not send his presence, he said, I'm not going to go on. Better to be in the desert with the presence of God than to be in the promised land without it. I said, better to be in the desert with the presence of God than to be in the promised land without it. I remind you, brothers and sisters, these people experienced the manifest presence of God as they journeyed into the wilderness and into the promised land. The nearness would set them apart from all the other people of that age. The nearness of God would set them apart from all the other people groups. No matter what happened, they could look at that cloud of God's presence and say, enemy, you might be here but the one before me is bigger than you. Amen. I may not have any water, but I know the source where the water comes from. Amen. 
We may not have any food, but I know the one that feeds well. I don't know how he's going to provide, but I know my God can do it. He's done it before. He got us out of Egypt. He's going to take us in the same way. Do not limit God in what he will do in your life. Brothers and sisters, God never forsakes his people. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Sin mars our fellowship. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and makes us feel that we're abandoned to our own ways. But I'm here to remind you, we can either return to God in confession or we can follow him at a distance. Do we have the same desire to know God as did Moses? Do we pray like Moses said, God, if you cannot bless my plans of your presence, I'm not going to go any further because I can't fulfill them without you in my life. Now Moses had offered up two prayers to God and he answered them. But there's one more prayer that I believe changed his world forever. And that's the prayer I pray that we'll get from confession of our sins to God, I want your presence to this prayer here. And this is it. He wanted to see the person of God. Moses now enters the highest level of prayer. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please show me your glory. This is the same Moses that in anger rebelled. This is the same Moses that's human and failed. This is the same Moses who'd been on the mountain with God and said, so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Here is a man that was in such communion with God, he got his prayers answered every time he asked God for something. Even though he had enjoyed awesome fellowship and communion, he could say, oh God, show me as much of you as I'm able to have. Show me as much of you as I'm able to have. I've heard people say, oh, I'm full to the brim. I'm full, I'm full and just running over. Then pray for a bigger container. Don't be satisfied with a little container. Pray for a bigger container. Fill me, oh God, with your glory. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion to whom I show compassion. He further said, you cannot see my face for mankind shall not see me and live. To look directly in God's face would be like looking in the hot sun in Florida on the 4th of July. We could not have it. Had Moses asked an impossible request to see the face of God? No, no he didn't. No man has ever seen God's face directly. It's possible to see the manifest glory of God and that's exactly what happened to Moses. The faith of Moses grew with each request and God answered his prayer. Now get this, the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will hide my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses was granted his third request. Moses had seen the beauty and the glory of God. Why did Moses experience this? He was able to see God better. He was able to receive the revelation of God. He became better, richer, fuller, intimacy with the Lord. Now, I love this part. God said, I have known you by name. And now he turns to Moses and said, I declare my name to you. 
When Moses was called of God, he goes to the burning bush. He sees a consuming fire. It's not burning up. It's not burning down. It just burns. He approaches the bush, take his shoes off. It's holy ground. Moses, go back to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? What's your name? In the day, if a person knew the name of their God, they could manipulate that God in some ways, control him. And, and God simply said, you go back and tell Pharaoh, I am that I am. And Moses goes back, Pharaoh, I met God. I don't really know what he's like, but he's powerful. He's a consuming fire. And he said, let his people go. Who is his name? What's his name? I am. That's all I know about him. Because he's I am, not I was or I will be, I think I'd be checking my attitude, Mr. Pharaoh, because he's serious about this. Pharaoh kept hardening and hardening and hardening, and God kept manifesting, 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 and little by little, Moses is learning who I am really is. He learns more and more and more to the, comes to the place where he's at. Moses is one of the only men that I know that God said, this is my friend. And he speaks to him as a friend speaks to a friend. Moses, I know your name. But my friend, let me tell you my name to you. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, if all we are is down here confessing sins all day long and all week long, that's as far as we grow, we'll never know the heart of God. We'll never know the plan of God. We'll never know what God is to us or what he wants of us to do. But if we can come on in and get his presence in our life, and once his presence is there, and we grow and we grow and we grow, I long for the day where God comes up and says, let me tell you my name, and he already has, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We call him Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. Moses experienced a transformation only God could give. When he came down from the mountain, his face shone, though it had been in, in, not conscious of it. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, <coughs> as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because speaking with him. And later when Moses went into the tent of meeting, he would take the veil off, but when he came out, he'd put it back on because people couldn't look at the, at the glory. It was a glory that faded away. When you and I are living in the presence of God, we don't say, I'm doctor so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so, I'm apostle so-and-so. Humility would say, that guy, that gal is a born-again child of the Lord. You see, we got a lot of people today that's advertising who they are and they don't have the goods to do it. See, a lot of churches today changing their name to try to draw people in. It's just changing the label on an empty bottle. It's just putting a, a brand new dress on the same old girl. What the church needs is the presence of God. The presence of Jesus Christ. And if you and I will burn, people come to watch us burn. Burn with the glory of God. Years ago, when I first got saved, I was so radically changed by the power of the gospel. Jesus was my all in all. I took this Bible. I've worn several of them out, literally studying them. I didn't know how to read that well. I never received a high school education. I was simply exposed to one. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd read the Bible. Some nights, two hours at a time, only three or four verses of Scripture I'll read. But I cross-referenced, and I studied it, and I memorized it. 
and I memorized it and I studied it and I tried to live it. When it came time to pray, I didn't know how, but I'd get on my knees at night and I'd say, God, I want to know your voice. I've got to know your voice, God. And many of the time I'd go to sleep praying and the devil would condemn me and I said, you know what, at least I went to sleep in the arms of my father. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd pray all the way to work, a 30-minute drive. I want to know God. And we were on strike where I worked at a mining machinery factory. We were on strike. So I went to a Christian bookstore about 20 miles away. And I walk in there and I love to look at the praise albums and the worship music and all that. Didn't read any books. I just read the Bible. And the reason being is I wanted this book here to form my theology and not some book I read somewhere else. I walk into that bookstore and one day it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and I was the only one there. And lady behind the counter, she looked up and said, I'd love to see you come in here. I feel such the presence of God. You walk in and I turn around and see what you're talking about. She said, no, you. I said, me, you. You see, when you're in the sunshine, you can't help but get a sunburn or a suntan. I don't get a tan, I just burn. When you're in the presence of God, you can't help but bear the image of being there. And we don't even know it, but others can see it. Others can sense it. To the early church, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Not because they saw him come out of the synagogue or come out of a house meeting, but because the way they talked, the way they walked, the way they lived, the way they ministered, it took knowledge that they had been with the Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, the glory. Let me tell you, friend, when you've been with God, we're different. Our morals are different. Our moods are different. Our desires are different. Our life is different. <clears throat> Our goals change. We face the world with optimism and not pessimism. We can be up and not down because we know our God. And better we know him, the greater our appetite is to want to know him just that much more. I tell you, God gives us an unsatisfied satisfaction when it comes to the things of God. Was Moses truly satisfied? When he saw the glory of God pass by, he had the glory upon his face. Was he truly satisfied? Yes, but he wanted more. In fact, even after Moses died and was buried, he wants more of the Almighty God. Fifteen centuries later, he's still enjoying the glory of God. Moses was not able to enter into the promised land. We talked about that last week. He hit the rock when he should have spoke to it, and God would not let him in the promised land. But he was able to see the promised land, right? He wasn't able to go. God buried him. Moses' eyes were still working. His strength was still there when he died. But God buried him. But if you look in the word of God, in Matthew 17, 1,500 years later, Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John and was transfigured before the Lord. And his face did shine like the sun. His garment became white as light. And there appeared Moses and Elijah entering in to the eternal glory of the Almighty God. I'm here to tell you, church, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall have a body fashioned like the own glorious body of Jesus Christ the Lord. And on that day, I am a firm believer that we shall behold the glory and the majesty of the Almighty God, and we will know his name more intimately than we've ever known it before. Be faithful in hard places here, so one day you can be trusted in heavenly places over on the other side. Not only did Moses enter the land, but he received another revelation of the glory of God. Moses who prayed, show me thy glory. 
was able to see that glory. And today, Moses is still delighting in the glory of God. Let me close. C.S. Lewis said that God is that all-satisfying object. We can become so hungry for God. And we come to him because we are hungry for God. And we need God if we're hungry. We need God more than we need our supper. We don't know that yet. We haven't learned that yet. But if we're really hungry, we need God more than we need our supper. The closer we get, the closer we want to come. And the closer we get, the more we say, Lord, show me your glory.